Let's get started tonight. Um, if you've been with us last semester, you know we try to reserve these first two weeks to kind of cast vision as to why we're here or you know, what is the, the biblical emphasis behind what we do at Campus Collective. So if you're really new, this, is a great, uh, this week and next week is a great time to come as we're going to explain what we're even doing. And we're also going to get into um, some text and celebrate the gospel tonight. But I'm going to spend a little bit of this time before kind of explaining why are we doing this? What's the point of Campus Collective? So that I need you to know this, that, that there, there is a reason that we meet on Tuesday nights, have snacks, come up with ministry names, do hangouts, etc., etc., and it's all built on a biblical conviction. That text should be up on the screen. This isn't where we're going to be all night. Um, we're going to be in Philippians 1.6, so if you want to turn there and hold your place, I'm going to do a little bit of work in Colossians first. But it says this, to them... So that them is believers in Jesus. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works Within me. Now, like I said, biblical conviction for why we are doing what we're doing. So the first piece of that is you need to know this. That God's plan A for saving the world, recreating all things for himself, was to send his son to die and rise again. And then to send his spirit to empower followers of Jesus to build the church. That, that's the plan A. That, that through Jesus following groups, thing, these things called local churches, led by elders celebrating the gospel. That was God's plan A to see people come to know him and for his glory to spread all over the world. But I want you to see something very specific in verse 27. He says, make known the Gentiles original the glory of this mystery. And here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, there's a distinction here, because all of us would agree, amen, if we said that Jesus Christ is the hope of glory, right? You're like, yeah, Jesus is the hope, we, we get that. And, and that's obviously true. But if you see here, as Paul writes to a local church, talking about believers, he says that this mystery, this hope that the world needs, this hope of glory, is actually that Christ is in his people, the distinction, Christ in us. And the context here shows us that the you, or the, the in you, the people, that he's talking about is the church. Because it's written to a local church, or maybe a group of churches in Colossae. So the biblical conviction behind any ministry should be is that God works best through the local church as people live out the love of Christ that is in them. And is that love... And that Christ is truly the hope for the world. You follow me? That, that God decided in it's plan A, it wasn't like he got cut off by the whole sin thing. He decided, I'm going to send my son. He's going to die and rise again. And his spirit's going to come to empower people to follow him and spread his glory throughout the world. It's going to, they're going to unite in these local collections of my people, the church. That's how he wants to get this hope to the world. Christ in you. Now, it's no question that our campus, our world, needs hope. 
They need Jesus. These are basic things that we've come to realize. If you've been with us for last semester, if you've been in church at all, it's a common thing that we all think that the world needs Jesus. Um, And people that maybe you've already met in your classes, your Monday, Wednesday, or maybe your Tuesday, Thursday, or people you've just ran into in the student center, it's become obvious maybe, some more than others, that people need Jesus. So, the first biblical conviction of this ministry, why you're here, why we even do Tuesday nights, is because we are convinced that God's plan A through the local church, through people that have Christ in them, living out that identity and living out that mission is how we best get that hope to the world. When people live out who they are as God's church. And notice the ministry of Paul here. It doesn't just say the fact that you all are a church gives the world hope. And I mean, in some ways it does. They realize there might be some good in the world. There might be a answers for the questions they may have. But ultimately, it's Christ in you, and Paul shows what he does and what the church is expected to do in response to this. They proclaim Jesus, so sharing the gospel, making disciples. You're going to hear that a lot this semester. And he says that his goal in that proclaiming Jesus is to see people mature in Christ. It starts with you. Will for you is for you mature in Christ, become more like Jesus, but also step into other people's lives, people who may be far from him, people who maybe are just starting to follow Jesus and see them mature. Then he goes on to say he puts all of his energy into this, the, the serving of each other to see people mature in Christ as God does the work through him. And here's the deal. We all do this best. You're going to hear this a lot tonight, but I want to make this clear. We all do this best when we join the mission of a local church as the members join God's mission in the place that he has sovereignly placed them. Like one of, if not maybe, the most important decision you can make if you're already a follower of Christ when you come to college is to find a local church and commit. Just it. Now, now, obviously, we are a local church. I'm staffed by Huntington Community Church, if you didn't know. That's, that's where you are. Um, you're at Huntington Community Church's facility. And I don't want you to hear that and think, well, I don't, I don't go to HCC, so how can I be a part of this? Our, our goal is to still see you use all of your energy as God works through you to build people up in and through your local church. That, that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see, you know, if, if HCC packs this place out and we do 10 services on Sunday, we're not touching a fraction of the campus still. We need all local churches, all ministries bending towards this, but you need to know that this is best done through the church. So, in order to understand that mission of Campus Collective, you've got to understand a little bit of why Huntington Community Church exists. It's going to be really quick, but I want you to see this. Here's where the Lord has led the elders um, of what we want to see Huntington Community Church people do. We want to see every person know God, find community, Make disciples, change the world. And this ministry falls under that change the world part. That that we want to change the world starting in our neighborhood. And right in our neighborhood is Marshall University. So we thought, how do we get those people that are far from God at Marshall? How do we do it? So we're thinking, we got to get strategic. How do we enter the world of Marshall? And what a lot of people know is student groups or um, another name for them is maybe campus ministry. You probably heard that's probably a more common, but really it's just a student group. Um, and 
we thought, okay, so that's how you kind of get in that world. And, and we know that it's still God's plan A, that people would do their best work and live out their best identity for Christ through the local church. So we're thinking a student group completely tethered to the local church. So when you are here, you're going to hear us talk about getting you involved in HCC. But once again, to reiterate, we want to see you live out your identity, use all of your energy to see people mature in Christ through the local church. So that was our goal. We thought, okay, we're near college. Let's kind of group ourselves and then kind of bend into a campus ministry, mobilize those college students to live their time at Marshall on mission. That, that was, that was the, the whole conviction. I was like, okay, then... A campus ministry was born. So it brings us to Campus Collective. I promise the, all, all this, um, maybe it's not boring to you. I like this kind of stuff, but we'll get, we'll get through it. Um, campus Collective, here's, here's kind of the, the, the goal, the overarching theme of what we're doing on Tuesday nights. We exist to equip college students to abide in Christ, advance the gospel. Two things. We want to see you get close to Jesus, love him. And use your time, use all your energy to see people come to know him. Advance the gospel. But I want you to see something. It, we say exist to equip college students because I am just going to be an aggressive defender of this. That the point that I am here, the reason that Tuesday nights exist, is we are here to help you do the ministry. Not to have you all be a part of watching other people put on a ministry show. Okay, that, that's like, I don't ever want you to come here on Tuesday night and think we just got to hear the good music, hear the preaching and then and move on. Th- this exists to be a rhythm of your week to see you abide in Christ and advance the gospel, not watch other people get excited about that happening. So that first piece, which is what our text and all of our, the rest of this sermon is going to be focused on, is that abide in Christ. We, we want to see everyone trust, obey treasure, love God, other, love neighbors by faith in Christ as he works in you. And advance the gospel, which will be next week in a different text, but we want to see people ring out their lives on the greatest mission of the world, which is to see people come to know God. And brings us to this multi-layered, five-part introduction, conclusion. Um, the point of Tuesday night worship. Why, why are we here? If all these missions and mission process and, and vision statements and all this, how, why does this matter? Why does it actually matter that we would meet here together as college students in, in light of these missions? Is that we desire to see Tuesday nights become a place where the Lord can empower you to abide in Him through His Spirit, by His Word, and inspire you to leave here on mission as you advance the gospel. That, that's the point. Our, our primary purpose is not to entertain. Our primary purpose is not even to give you a place to hang out on Tuesday nights. We're going to come in here and we're going to be focused on lifting Jesus up so that you might abide in him and advance the gospel. So for week one, and you can go and get ready for Philippians 1.6, we are going to focus on abiding in Christ. First of all, what is it? Second of all, how, how do we do it? And third... We will take time to savor and, and really just break down very slowly a promise that God has given us in his word so that we might abide in Christ more closely this week. So before I actually jump into these texts, I'm going to pray for you, pray for us, pray for this semester, and then we will get started um, tonight. So let's, let's pray one more time. Um, Father, I ask right now uh, that you would 
quiet our hearts, you would eliminate distractions, that we would um, focus on you. Um, Lord, this, this stuff doesn't happen because of willpower or, or good time management skills or uh, teamwork. Uh, this, this happens because you've decided uh, to move powerfully through your word. Um, so God, as we come to your word now, I pray that we would tremble at it, that we would not take this lightly, we would not see this as something uh, that is to be played with, but that you are different than us and you are big and powerful, but you love us. So God, convict, teach us to be more like Jesus as we learn to abide in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to address what is abiding in Christ, we've got to go to John 15 first before we look at Philippians 1.6. And John 15, and really, if we had time, the whole chapter of John 15 is really a worthy read if you want to learn how to abide in Jesus. But I'm going to focus on just verses 9 through 11 to ask this question. What is abiding in Christ? So John 15, let me read this to you. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus talking, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, so Jesus' joy, may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Man, his joy in you, so that your joy May be full. So let's break this apart phrase by phrase to address the question, what is abiding in Christ? So that's what we're wanting to do as a Tuesday night group of people, want to abide in him. What, is, what does that mean? Now, first of all, I want you to notice that abiding in him is a command. Okay, It's not like a, a good suggestion for your spiritual well-being. It is a command where he says, abide in my love. But the first part about this command, though, is I want you to see it's surrounded by... Love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so as, as God the Father loves his own Son, so Jesus has loved his people. And then he says, abide in my love. So the love that God the Father has for God the Son, Jesus, surrounding this incredible command that we are to abide. Now, now notice it's not just Abide, it is, there's a target there. We are commanded to abide in the love of God. Now, that's all fine and good, right? If we, we okay, we're like, okay, I understand that God is loving, I'm supposed to love him with my life, and it kind of seems to float off into abstract a little bit, at least for me. I'm like, okay, I know God is love, and I know that there's a loving God, and I'm, I, I love God, and other people love God, and he loves the world, but what does that look like, boots on the ground, when you get gritty about it, how do we... How do we live this out? What does it look like? And he, and he tells us that if you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see that? Fathers love me. I love you. Abide in that love. And if you keep my commandments, then you will obey that first command. Um... I guess it looks like to me at least that it's clarifying the how-to of that first command, right? Like abiding is a little bit abstract. It's kind of hard to think. How do I like connect spiritually? How do I 
remain in Christ. And he says, look, you're, you're doing that. You are loving God if you are keeping his commandments. You are abiding in his love when you keep his commandments. So what, what are these commandments, right? Like, it's like, I want to abide in love, in his love. That sounds nice. And I should obey. And I know that in order to do that, I have to obey these other commands. So what is that? Uh, the commandments ultimately, riddled throughout your New Testament, but it's primarily that you love God with all of your being. And, and this looks like worshiping Him, trusting Him, treasuring Him. And as this love, worshiping, giving Him praise, thanking Him for what He's done, concentrating on the promises He's given you, trusting that He will always deliver on them, it overflows into a love for other people. And the Bible's full of ways that you do that. So I want you to see it. Don't, don't just think, oh man, there's all of these rules. I'm not supposed to lie. And you think, well, I've blown that one. And I'm not supposed to lust after these possessions. You're like, man, I've lost that too. And you're thinking, man, if I, I can never do that, so I'm never going to be able to abide in his love. And while those commandments are important, they primarily come overflowing out of the command to love him. Now, with, with that framework, I want you to see something else. The, the reason that he would even command for you to love him in order that you would remain in his love, here's why. The reason that he gives us these commands is because he wants you to have joy. You need, you need to know that. You need to understand that when you, sometimes in our, at least especially for millennials, we kind of hear commands and rules and it gets weighed down and we're thinking that somehow these commands are just so that whoever's giving them can be the, you know, just kind of boss us around or whatever. And he's saying, I want you to have this love which leads to the joy that I have because I'm loved by God. And to do this, you've got to obey these commands. So when you think Christians following rules or you look in your New Testament and you see ways that Paul might instruct the church to live... Know that these commands, especially the command to love God, is so that you can have real, lasting, actual joy. Not some disconnected, ignorance is bliss, fleeting spiritual feeling. No, he wants you to have joy. Real joy that can only come from being loved and knowing that you are loved by God. And what was this joy that Jesus had? Like, it, it, all throughout his life, it was marked by overcoming every temptation thrown at him and an unending resolve to fulfill the will of God for his life, even if it killed him, which it did. Do you, do you want that? Like, believers especially right now, like, is that something, like, I would think you would want to have a life marked with joy that would overthrow every temptation in your life and would give you a, just a die-hard resolve to fulfill His will. And He's saying, that type of joy, that type of loving, invincible joy that can only be from God, you can have it if you'll love me. And this is... Not just something he's kind of holding over us, like if you just can get all these things right and finally get to it. No, he's saying, I want you to have this. Please don't turn me off. Like, 
God's saying, as God loved me, so I loved you. That love from him gives me a joy that will literally gave me a power that was overthrowing every temptation the devil could throw at me. And it gave me somehow, when I was on the cross, I could forgive the people that killed me. Like, we need that. He's saying, it's yours if you'll love me. He wants you to abide, to love, to trust, cherish him. And have that well up in you to an otherworldly joy that will shatter the allure, the temptation of sin, and conquer all of your deepest suffering. Have you ever gotten a taste of that? Like, just for real. Like, have you ever had those moments where you just kind of feel like maybe it was in a season of really, really dark, deep suffering where you feel like everything had just gone wrong and there's no way that this can work out. I'll never feel okay about this, but somehow you just have this joy that you know had to come from somewhere else. It's because he used that to make you love him because when you love him, you get that joy. You ever seen a person who lost it all but still has peace somehow? Seen a, a man with a past full of guilt and shame and confusion but somehow is absolutely convinced that God has a plan and a will for his life? That doesn't make sense in the world that, that somebody with a broken like disgusting shameful past would somehow be able to be used for some big purpose. If you have that joy and you have that love you'll believe it. And that only comes through loving Jesus. Once again it's available for us if we abide in Him by faith and obey Him as we love Him and love others. But, but here, here's the deal. That, that's easy to say. All right? Especially like when you're up here and you've got time to prepare all this and it's, you know, you're the guy up front teaching the Bible. It's easy to go up here and say, y'all should love Jesus because He loves you and then if you do that, you'll love others and you'll have joy. And then some of you are thinking, man, my whole break I would use any other word to describe it except joy. Or maybe it's been all of 2017. You're like, man, I've been a Christian. I've followed, I've loved Jesus, and I haven't tasted any of this. Here's the deal. You can't love someone you don't know. And you can't abide in Him. You can't abide in something that you don't see. And this is the exact reason why sermons should be Bible-saturated. And you'll maybe hear, you hear me this definitely last semester, I said this, but all of our sermon, um, kind of our preaching ministry here at Campus Collective is built on the conviction that I have absolutely nothing good to say. I can get up here and maybe motivate you for two weeks to morally change or talk to your neighbor. I can't motivate you into hating sin and cherishing Christ. I just can't. You have to see it by faith. To want it. And God knew this about us and gave us His Word so that we might know Him. Now, two of the major ways that God, at least in my experience and according to David Pallison in his latest book, says that one of the, two of the major ways that He meets your soul in the Word, first one is by commands, telling you things to do. The other one is by promises. Now, commands we have seen, we know that they are good because they reveal God's standard. And, and if you're a reborn Christian, you're a person who follows Jesus, you should read those commands and 
you know, maybe initially you're kind of like, ah, that sounds hard, but it shouldn't necessarily repulse you. You should see those good commands and think, I want to bend my will towards that. So commands are good. They'll conform us to the image of Christ. But listen, without a love for Jesus, you can obey commands all the way to hell. You need to know that. I fell for this. Whole life, growing up, Christian home, thinking that, kind of doing the right things and making sure I hide all the times I didn't do the right things. That somehow meant I loved Jesus. That's why it's so important. We say, primarily, what He wants from you is to love Him. And that overflows into all sorts of other commands that prove that you love God by loving other people. So if commands show you His will, the promises are important because we know that just obeying commands won't save us, won't give you that joy. If commands are to show you His will, promises are meant to show you His heart. And you need a healthy dose of both of those, um, which is why they're all throughout your Bible. Um, But in my own experience, it is the promises that cause my heart to move toward God. Because it's really cool. A lot of times when when God kind of tells you something about Himself, especially in those promises, it has nothing to do with you. Man, that's kind of bank on that. Like, it's not like, like, I will be good to you if you are good to me and do things for me. Now, God's like, I'm good, and if I love you, I'm good for you. So, commands convict and inspire, but I need convinced all over again, man, all break. You would have thought that I was, had multiple personalities this break. Like, going into the end of Campus Collective's first semester, I'm like, Man, I love the Lord, and it's amazing, and now I'm going to Florida, and it's going to be, the Lord's going to be even better there, because it's high 75, all, all through Christmas, and I'm going in, and somehow, somehow my heart got cold. I was doing all the right things, reading, praying, loving my wife, being nice to my in-laws, but in some way, I've forgotten who God was. Commands convict and inspire. But I need to know that God is faithful to His promises so that I can love Him. So let's look at one promise tonight before... I always say before the, before the band comes. It's two of us. Um, we're going to look at a promise uh, tonight in Philippians 1.6 that I pray that you would not turn off. Because listen, you've heard this before. And you've probably heard a lot of things that you continue to disobey. So tonight, let's, let's press in for one verse and see what might happen if 40 or 50 of you decide this is the semester that I give it all I've got to abide and love Jesus and beg Him to overflow that into mission on Marshall's campus. So let me just read this to you. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, just like those commands were for your joy, also this promise is for your joy. Like, I want you to be a bunch of people that own this. Like, own Philippians 1.6. 
Know that sin and suffering are your two biggest enemies of your faith, of your love, and of your joy in God this semester. Like ultimately the enemy, Satan, but he's gonna, pretty much going to boil down to you. They're going to sin or you're going to suffer. And both of those are going to do their work to get you to not love Jesus and to get you to not trust Him. And both of these things can completely mess you up in your pursuit to believe this promise. So let's work through it. First phrase, Paul says this, And I am sure of this. First, remember, I is Paul, okay? And and this promise just explodes off the page when when you realize that Paul used to be a Christian murdering religious zealot. (laughs) Like he hated the church. And now he's saying somehow he'd have the audacity to say that God will begin and complete a good work in him. You better believe he believes he remembered his past all throughout his ministry. But he's saying, no, no, I'm sure. But Paul, you, you killed people who love God. Yeah, I know. I'm sure of this. Writing this with complete confidence. So, like, let that alone soften your hearts tonight. Like, are you experiencing crippling agony over the same sin over and over again? Like, how many times you said, God, I'll never do this, and then the next night you do that thing. These are spiritual, there's a spiritual reality in this world that you can absolutely be sure of. Paul was most likely worse past than you. an anchor set your spiritual feet on. Or, on the other flip side of this, if you're experiencing suffering right now that you couldn't even begin to explain the depths of depression, anxiety, or what this person did to you, or, or how this past event has affected you. This is something so sure that all of the pain of suffering can be put in the light of eternity. It's a promise. And so even if your sin is just low-laying low anxiety, or if your suffering is just the stress of a new semester, doesn't it just kind of thrill your soul to know there's something that's sure out there? Paul is sure. Now, granted, all of the word, all the verses in the Bible, could, you could say that, that you can be sure of it. But God saw fit in this certain promise to give us this qualifier that Paul, with all of his past, all that had happened, he says, listen, I'm sure of this. Here's what he's sure of. That he who began. So this starts this promise. Let's, let's dig in. So if I was Paul, he is, is God. And he says, he who began. Personal, real God. It's not an abstract force of religious thinking. He's sure that God, this God that rescued a Christian murdering person, saying, I'm I'm sure that He who began, a God who is personally interested in saving us, He's at the start of all of it. He controlled all of the exact circumstances to get you to where you are right now. He's controlling all the affairs of every world power while working in the person who would eventually share the gospel with you. God began all of it. No amount of sin that you have done or are doing can stop this love because if God decided to begin this in you, you don't think He knew that it would get messy and ugly? 
You know, he didn't look upon you and say, that person's really cleaned up their act pretty well. I think I'll start a good work in that person. Of course he knew it was messy. That's why he gave us this promise. People who nail all of their Christian life morally don't need to be reminded that God's got to finish the work. Do you think you do? This also means that every experience, every experience of suffering that you've gone through or maybe find yourself in right now or, or will go through this semester is already completely initiated by God Himself because He is using all of it to complete a good work in you. Don't just believe this in your brain. Live like it's true. So what is this good work? Saving you and continuing to make you more like Jesus. So don't, don't hear this promise and think, that good work began when I made the decision to follow Christ. Please remember, He started this. By grace, through faith that He gave you, you saw your desperate need for salvation and saw Jesus as the substitute, died in your place, and rose again to secure this for you. This is the unbelievable work that He started for us. And your salvation in the past was completely dependent on the Lord's work. Like, know that. Even if you're kind of doing okay, know that you are going to go through something in life that will make you wonder if God is working. And Paul is sure, and you can be, that he who began a good work, personally began, next part of the promise, will bring it to completion. The completing of that work is as sure as the one who started it. He will bring it to completion. And the completion of this work, you want to take it to your grave and after you die, will ultimately be you in front of God without any sin, suffering, or shame anymore. And, and all things in this semester and in your world are being bent and shaped by God to fulfill this promise in your life, that one day you'll stand in front of Him, no sin, no shame, completely His. Until then, though, you're not there yet. Until then, God will continue to be the initiator of all things good and hard so that you become more like Him until you meet Him. Be sure of it. And here, here's, here's, what, here's where, when this completion happens. We've already gone over this a little bit, but let's finish the verse. At the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day when everything stops and all the ministries are over. And all the pastors have stopped preaching their sermons. The day of Jesus Christ when... All things are put under His feet and all the safe people will be with Him and will be free to enjoy His joy because they've been somehow in some miraculous, unbelievable way, sin will be removed from our bodies and that means we'll obey perfectly, which means we'll have full joy. This promise will change everything for you this semester. God saved you for His own glory out of His own joy so that you would have joy in glorifying Him. He's in complete control of everything so that you can be sure he will do everything necessary to make you believe this promise and to fulfill it. So what, what kind of person believes this promise? What's that look like? If, if you'll truly grasp this and own it in Christ, we'll be a type of people who quickly repent of sin. Um, and, and listen, maybe tonight God's worked all of this and brought us here so that you would be exposed right now. That you need to hear that you have sin in your life that you need to repent of. Whatever sin you're hiding is robbing your joy and coming to His. Uh, and or if, if we will truly grasp this promise, we will be people who are aggressively loving and kind to our brothers and sisters. Like, 
Imagine walking in this mission for another semester surrounded by people who are convinced that God will finish the work in them. Like, imagine that joy. You come in here every week, 50 people convinced that God started a work in them and that he's doing it all for their joy. It's a fun place to be. And if we truly grasp this promise, we will be people who see every single trial and suffering as a dark mercy that is making us more like Christ. Can you imagine believing this now so when that suffering comes, you say thank you to God? And, and eventually this promise will overflow in us, and this is next week, we don't have time for next week's sermon, but this overflows into a spirit-driven desire to see God start good works in our lost friends and our lost classmates. This actually frees you up for evangelism, you know that? Like, you don't go begin good works in people. You invite them to a God who does. And as God completes works in us, we will beg Him to use us as the instrument to start good works in others. And the promises of God will lock us into who He is and change our hearts to want to obey Him on this mission. Abiding will lead to advancing. Now, Jake and Kelly, you want to come up? I'm just going to pray um, for you again as we get ready to sing and um, just kind of start us tonight. So we got, we got three songs tonight. Um, at the end here, we're just going to sing. And we're going to sing like people who believe that God started something in us. And not only that, He is faithful to finish it in us. But let's, let's be that people this semester. All right, we got light switches now, all right? We're big time. <laughs> Kidding, obviously. But, but, but let's, let's press in here. I'm going to pray for you. Um, and let's sing like people who are free. Father, I ask right now that you would Make us believe Philippians 1.6. Father, I am so tired of living my life like it is up to me to somehow become more like you or to somehow be used of you. That, that all this is, it's all you. So Father, for the students in this room that are you know, just looking ahead at 16 weeks of, of class and friendships and suffering and mistakes and hopefully good things and joys, I pray that right now you would convince them in their heart that all of this is meant to fulfill this promise in their life. We have no idea what that holds, but I pray you make us a people that are ready for it. So Father, be with us as we sing. Accept this worship. We love you, and uh, we're thankful that you command us to love you so that we would have joy. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.